Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Everybody, welcome into the Bears Illustrated Podcast. Garrett Ross, Pernay Malapati, back with you. What's up, man? How you feeling today? I'm doing pretty well. Just got done with my first final. How'd that go? How what, what was it? What class? It was securities regulation. There's a lot of a lot of details, but I would I would think well. a lot of details and some security <laughs> regulation. That just screams details to me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so many little rules. Yes. Speaking of details, let's get to some minor details here. Uh, we, we've been waiting for Matthew Meyer to decide what he was going to do. Uh, is he coming back to Baylor? Is he going to enter the NBA draft? Um, and then Jonathan Giovanni from ESPN comes out earlier this week and says that, well, Matthew Meyer is going to enter the transfer portal. Uh, he's still going to get ready, get prepared for the NBA draft. Uh, but while he does that, because he's not, you know, going to know if he makes it or not. He's going to leave his options open, but instead of just saying, I'm going to leave my options open and come back to Baylor if I go to college, I'm going to weigh my options. This caught me off guard. Uh, I, I honestly expected he would, you know, hit the, uh, just enter the draft, roll out. Um, I, you know, I even thought he would give solid consideration to coming back and, and give it another shot. Uh, the portal, man, did that catch you off guard? Yeah, it's not something I expected. Um, I still think, the biggest likelihood is that he goes to the NBA and he said that he still plans to go into the NBA draft, but the, the transfer portal, him entering the transfer portal obviously means that he still has an eye on returning to college basketball. It just won't be at Baylor. And I mean, I still think that regardless of where he goes, it would still be in his best interest to come back and improve his game and improve his draft stock. Um, but he he's definitely going to have a lot of options in the transfer portal. Like he's a guy who can contribute as a starter night in and night out. He has championship experience. Um, I saw a story that like had him as one of UNC's top targets. If he does decide to come back and I think he'd be a great fit replacing Brady Manic there. That was one spot I immediately thought of. Um, and also my, my, well, really, the first spot I thought of in general was K-State. Uh, you go up there, you're familiar with Jerome Ting. Uh, obviously, Nigel Pack is no longer there. A lot of their players, they had a lot of turnover up there. And I figure, you know, that mm-hmm. could be a situation where Meyer goes in and he's easily your first or second option from an offensive standpoint uh, where he could really, you know, prove that, hey, I can still take over a game, uh, score when need be, because that was really – what held him back last year. I mean, he was fourth on the team in scoring at 9.8 points a game with five rebounds. And we all were expecting, I know I was expecting this dude to come out and average like at least 15 a game and it just never happened. Uh, Do you think that's something that he's looking at? Like if I come back, 
to college, I'm going to find a, a destination where I could be one of the main scorers. Definitely. He, he had that one more opportunity to do what he could have done last year. And if he turns into a really good scorer, then his draft got his draft stock was skyrocket. He, he has the chance to turn into a first round pick. Because right now he's only a second-round pick. And and I think the NIL money is a big deal here because now he can come back to college and potentially get a nice NIL deal. Like You see what uh, Nigel Pack got, what Isaiah Wong is probably going to get. And with that mullet that he's got going, he, he could definitely get some sponsorships. I don't think he – you know what? I, I think maybe last year they could have really capitalized on it. Or before last season, I don't think his NIL market is is very high. I could be totally wrong, but I don't see anybody well, he, saying. I feel like I feel like he's a very marketable player. He could be, Just but I, I his, feel like your play's gotta gotta match it, right? I think he's high profile enough, and he's he's gonna be a starter on some pretty high profile team that he is still gonna be nationally recognized and. He has he carries himself like a guy who can get a company a lot of money by being a sponsor. He could. I, I just I, I don't a barbershop maybe. A barbershop. Well, hell, they'd probably be like, "Nah, bro, you ain't even coming in here and getting getting cut right." We we ain't coming <laughs> here to do that. Uh, you know, I mean, it's interesting, um, and that's the thing. I think everybody's looking at this nil from a. Like not everybody's gonna get these Nigel Pack deals, like right? That that was that's a first off, that's absurd uh, amount of yeah. money and stuff. Nobody should. I mean, I'm all for the players getting paid, and but like, dude, come on, that that's a little outlandish when you're talking that much stuff going into it. No, you probably wouldn't get as much as Nigel Pack, but I think that there's a shot he could come close. Like he could make as much as a late second round pick if he if he does go to the league. What? How do you? How long do you think it would take him to actively get on a on a on the roster night in and night out and play? Or even how long would it take him to come up from a G League situation? Do you think? I'd say two years. I think he could make it onto a roster in two years. He he has everything physically that NBA teams look for. He has the size and the athleticism and the length. So he's definitely worth a roster spot, and I think NBA teams would give him a chance to prove himself and develop as a player. He just to become a night in, night out contributor on the floor. I think that would take him a while. I think he definitely is going to have to figure out how to score more often, right? Like like last year, there he should have. I I still don't understand what happened there with if it was just a chemistry thing, but he was big enough and athletic enough where he could have easily drove in. And just been more of an aggressor towards the to the paint, and you know he wanted to settle for outside shots even when they weren't falling. Uh, but what really was his saving grace last year was his play on the defensive end, and I think that kind of yeah. gets 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 lost because it necessarily isn't it highlight real material. But I was looking at a line earlier, and I did not realize this. He led the team in steals with forty one, and he had twenty six block shots last year. I, oh, like, dude, if you would have said who led the team in steals, I would have thought like Flagler or Cry. I never even would have even considered Matthew Meyer. No, I mean, he played great defense. He played great perimeter defense. So it's not too shocking, but it's still a nice statistic. 
So do you, bottom line, at the end of the day, is he coming back to college basketball or is he going to get drafted by someone? I'm going to say that he still enters the NBA draft and gets onto a G League team at first and, yeah, eventually makes an NBA roster. I think that he still he still wants to go to the NBA right now. I feel like he goes. Um, I feel like this is he can't afford to miss another opportunity or another window. Uh, while you do have the opportunity to come back and go to another team and you know, it really increase your stock is all you would do at this point, right? If he comes back to college, is just try to increase where you get drafted. Yeah, exactly. So, well, I mean, I think I legitimately think the NIL money could be a factor. Like, I think he could get a decent deal. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you go, I, like, I, I don't know if you necessarily pick a program who is. Who's got a big NIL deal set up? Do you? I just, I guess it's okay. UNC basketball, I'm sure they'd be handing out deals. Yeah, I guess they would. Um, and he would be a. That would be another system. Like he could plug into the system and and kind of just yeah. he would see. That's the thing. It's like he and there's nothing wrong with it, especially once you get to the NBA. But he is better suited as a role player and not a a star. And I think last year he was just trying our expectations were this guy's supposed to be a star. And that just wasn't the case. Yeah. I think he showed last year that he's, he's not going to be the number one guy on a team. He's, he's more of a focus on defense, be, be a guy who, who fits into the offense and just plays his role. I don't think that he's going to be a star. Definitely not a star in the NBA after what we've seen. Um, but, yeah, he could be a role player for sure. A, a nice, like, eighth man off the bench, something like that he could develop into. And the defense is important. If you can play defense, you can definitely get time on the court. No doubt. No doubt. That's a good point. And I, I think that's really what's going to help him is his success on both ends of the court. Uh, should be able to help him find a roster. But, you know, regardless, uh, he did a, a lot of great things for Baylor. Uh, he helped them win the championship. He helped yeah. them get back this year. And, you know, unfortunately, your season ends to hell the national champion. So it is what it is in that aspect. But, you know, hey, it, he's always going to be welcome back at Baylor. Uh, whether it doesn't matter, whatever his journey takes him, he will be welcome back with open arms and wish him nothing but the best. Uh, but I want to get into the new Big 12. So a story come out uh, by Brett McMurphy that Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF are negotiating a way to get into the Big 12 in 2023. Let's dive into that next here on the Bears Illustrated Podcast. Let's jump into this, man. So, Brett McMurphy has a story out there uh, that Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF are looking to go ahead and come into the Big 12 sooner than expected. Uh, the plan in place is a ne- they're negotiating a settlement of $17 million from 17 to $20 million. Uh, that's going to allow the schools to exit the AAC and enter the Big 12 starting July 1st, 2023. Now, 
BYU, who's independent, is already joined. Uh, they're expected to join the Big 12 next season. What are your thoughts on on those teams entering now? And I, I've been a proponent of Oklahoma and Texas weren't going to stay the whole time anyway. Do you think this is something where the Big 12 knows, like, behind the scene, they're not coming back and, and they're willing to go ahead and bring these teams in? Or what are your do you do you see a scenario where all of these teams come in while Oklahoma and Texas are still in the Big Twelve? I still think that Oklahoma and Texas are gonna stay until twenty twenty five. That's what that's what everything is pointing to right now. That's what they've said, and obviously we can't trust them, but I think that just the, the massive buyouts are leading them to want to stay until the end of this deal. But I like this a lot. I like the fact that uh, the new Big 12 teams are trying to come in next season. Let's get this conference rolling, man. I you know excited Texas about Oklahoma... it? Are you What's excited up? about it? Yeah, I'm excited about it. I want to see I want to see this new look Big 12 as soon as possible. Texas and Oklahoma are still going to be here. We're, just, we're still going to be playing them for a couple of years. But... The sooner we can get these new teams in, the the faster we can build this brand of the new Big 12 and get more exposure to these teams in this area of the country. Because these, these are teams like in Cincinnati and in Orlando. A lot of uh, a lot of Texas fans, a lot of Midwest fans aren't going to be watching those those teams. So if we can get them out here I'll, like as soon as possible, have them playing playing in the new Big 12, even getting exposure by playing Texas and Oklahoma for a couple of years, which will bring in a lot of eyeballs to those games. They can start building their brands in this area of the country and, and pick up recruiting and and make sure this conference stays stays legitimate. So there, I have a couple of concerns about that. Uh, one is, which obviously there's going to be people a hell of a lot smarter than me that figure this out, but the revenue distribution. Like, do you give those those schools coming in the contracted revenue distribution they're supposed to get, which would be happening once Texas and Oklahoma left? Or like, do you take Oklahoma and Texas's money and go ahead and give it to them? Like, how does all of that work? You see what I'm saying? That, yeah, no, that's, that's very complex. Obviously we don't have, we don't have like the numbers in front of us to do all the math there, but I feel like there's definitely a way to work that out. And I think that you can maybe, maybe you decrease Texas and OU's buyout and give these schools some of the money that Texas and OU would be making so that it benefits both sides. Yeah. I don't think they're going to, they're going to help Texas and OU out at all. I don't think they're going to give them any slack if, on their if it's buyout. it's a beneficial scenario, then I, I think that you got to consider it. I mean, you definitely do, but in these situations, it's pride, stubborn ego. And I, I just don't see them letting be like, okay, you screwed us here. Just take a pay well, I'm cut. I'm not saying like kill the buyout. Just like take out $10 million and give it to Cincinnati and UCF and Houston. I just, I, yeah, I, I, look, that's a lot. That's the logical thing. It really is. I just, I don't not, the NCAA, none of this works. This is not how any of this works. But here's another thing that, that you've got to be concerned. And it can be a double-edged sword for, for the teams coming in and the teams leaving. Say you bring in these new programs um, and 
Oklahoma and Texas beat the hell out of them, right? And then they bolt. Well, that would happen. Well, you don't know that. It, it no, seriously. Happen. No, listen, listen, listen. Because it's, it's, that's what I'm saying. It's a double-edged sword. So if that happens, that is just all bad for the league. Then, but on the flip side, so. you don't think so? You're no. bringing in these teams who were supposed to replace Texas and Oklahoma. And if Texas and Oklahoma beat the hell out of them and then leave? Well, it's really more of if Texas does because Oklahoma's like, I don't think it's a, it's a negative if you lose to Oklahoma. It should Oklahoma, be. They're leaving so. you. Yeah, but you know that these are blue, you know that these are blue balls. It's the reason they're going to the SEC. That's the point, though. You're supposed to be replaced. Like that's that, that's not a good no, look. Every, everybody knows that Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, and BYU are not replacing are not equivalent replacements to Texas and Oklahoma. It's just a matter of bringing in teams that'll keep the conference alive and could eventually grow into good teams. Plus, Cincinnati just made the college football playoff. Yeah, okay, I, I, I see that, I see that, but I just, it didn't, all right, think about the other aspect of it, though, too, if you're Oklahoma or you're Texas, and really, it, you know, you have all of this, the hype around you and everything, you're leaving, it's say BYU or Cincinnati or all of them, for instance, say it's a clean sweep, beat them, and then you're, you got your tail tucked going to the, it, see, there's just so I much mean, is, chaos. Is is any of that more embarrassing than losing to Kansas and then not getting any players drafted? It's up there. I mean, look, <laughs> it fits the build. I mean, I guess it's the norm if you want to break it down like that. I guess it's the norm in, uh, on the 40 I'm not, acres. If, I, if I'm Oklahoma, I'm not concerned. And if I'm Texas, I, I have nothing to lose, um, like, pride-wise at this point. I think you do. You do not want to. You do not want to go out and enter a, the SEC on on struggling terms. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't. You, you can't be sliding and then go in. And I think that's why they're holding out hope and trying to build up this little recruiting class they have now to try to you know make themselves seem or in a position to where they can carry some positive momentum. Because right now. There's no positive momentum coming out of Boston. No, there's not. But I don't think that losing to Cincinnati makes it any worse. Losing to BYU makes it any worse. Because these are good teams. Yeah, but I feel like that that's, dude, if you, Texas does not want to lose to them, They're the team who are replacing them. It, it, all right, for instance, it's like going back to when A&M left for the SEC. It burns them to this day that they lost to Texas in that final game on Thanksgiving. Like, you do not want to – you see what I'm saying? That's, that's different, though. I don't think it is. Texas A&M, Texas rivalry versus Look, but it's playing this, a random – But it's not a random when they are your replacement. But, but Texas A&M losing to Texas is like – Texas losing to Baylor or Oklahoma State or something. It's well, I, no, I think that would be a, a better comparison from that scenario would be it's the final year and Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma in Bedlam. And then Oklahoma's yeah, yeah. got to go. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Th- th- it's just there's levels. There's layers to that. I still think that it's it's in the best interest of 
all parties for these new schools to come as soon as possible. Uh, you know, it, it is. It probably is. Um, but another thing, an angle I was I was looking at is we hear all the time, right? Like we can't schedule. We can't. There's always excuses for a game you can't schedule. You could use the Texas Texas A and M rivalry for example right like they just have never been able to schedule it they can't make it work because everybody's booked up so if they are like these teams are leaving the conference usa and texas and oklahoma are still here like there's how do you how do you align yeah it how do you align the schedules because if it's so difficult to fix them it's not as difficult it's not as difficult as everyone says it is I think COVID proved that. If Texas wanted to play Texas A&M, COVID did prove that, yeah. But if Texas wanted to play Texas A&M, they'd be playing them. I think you can can change the schedules around a little bit. Uh, Just replace a couple conference games here and there, separate into divisions. There's a lot of maneuvering that you're going to have to do, but it's, it's very doable and it's worth the benefits that you would get. That's true. That's true, but you know I it, like it. Huh? I want to start. I want to. I want to see Baylor play these teams as soon as possible. I just want to see it a fresh cut. I, you know what I'm saying? Like I don't want to see any crossover. I just want to see it clear cut. Here's what it see, is. I'm the opposite. I think it'd be a smoother transition if if the two transitions happen at different times. If you have if you have everything happening at once, it's more of a shock to the conscience. If you have these four teams already ingrained as part of the conference when texas and OU leave it's like these these two schools left but the rest of the conference is still intact i could see that big of a a switch i could see that it does that does make sense like from a philosophical standpoint i I definitely get that (laughs) no i'm serious i do i like that so what's going to be interesting is we're you know i think our main focus right now when we're having this discussion is the competition on the gridiron, right? What's going to be taking place if these teams meet on uh, the football field? But this is a basketball conference right now, right? You have the the, the past mean, two pretty, but... the past two defending national champions are coming out of the Big oh, Twelve. Yeah. So let's talk some Big Twelve basketball, and let's talk about a new Baylor Bear, Dantuan Grimes, who's coming over from Kilgore College. We're going to talk to his head coach Brian Hobright next on the Bears Illustrated podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome 
Welcome back into the Bears Illustrated Podcast, where we are proud to be joined by Brian Hobright, the head men's basketball coach at Kilgore College. Coach, how you doing, man? Uh, doing great today. Just uh, trying to find the end of the semester and yeah, uh, get some classes cleaned up and get some recruiting done. There you go, man. Let's talk about that a little bit. You've built a nice program out there in East Texas, 31-3 and this season, 17-2 and in conference play. Tell us a little bit about your journey and what's gone into establishing that program out there. Uh, we started uh, 14 years ago. We moved to Kilgore, and um, it's just been a work in progress like any good thing is, uh, slowly building on uh, the good things and the deposits you can make in kids uh, and their growth. Uh, and then in this program, just, uh, you know, changing everything that we can as quick as we can. And uh, we've had been blessed with really good assistant coaches, uh, really good uh, players over the course of my career. And, um, you know, here we are, 31 and 3. And uh, I the most wins in the season here at Kilgore. So it's been a good year. And over the last seven years, you've had 28 guys sign Division One scholarships, uh, the most recent of those being Dantwine Grimes, who, who will be coming to Baylor next season. Um, when did you know that Dantwine could be a guy who could play at the highest level of college basketball? We started seeing signs of it late in the year last year, um, just with his work habits. Um, not that he was – necessarily playing at a high level. The conversation I had with Dan Twan this summer was, uh, you know, high level guys are consistent every day. And so uh, his challenge was to be consistent every day. And his challenge was to play well every night. And I said, I'm not going to try to tell you you're a high major player in, in a weekend or in one game. I said, I want to see how you really start performing through the start of, the, uh, of your sophomore year, what you do up until the Christmas time and, and just the day-to-day -day deposits and, and that he brings to our team. Uh, and those just kept building on themselves. He just kept getting better and better. And he kept growing and he kept wanting more. He kept wanting to challenge himself to do more. And so, you know, the result of that is, is he, he put together a phenomenal year and, and one that's, that's worthy of an opportunity at Baylor. Coach, with the, with the transfer portal being so uh, prevalent the way it is now, what is the process like on your end in that situation with uh, with Antoine where you have a guy who is being sought after from a program? What is it like on your end of it uh, to, to get them to that point? Uh, you know, the, the portal's definitely slowed things down uh, everywhere. I thought, you know, junior college recruiting had gotten to the point where uh, before the portal – right before the pool either really early and got got off to a jump start and and signed in November signing period or you can wait late and look for those kids to find homes and find the right places for them and the portals just slowed it all down even more uh Dantuan uh Dantuan was recruited we sat down one day in the fall and went through 45 schools and so he knew where he knew he was sought after. He knew there was a lot of interest. Um, you know, Baylor did a good job of recruiting him the entire year. And uh, it was just a matter of him, you know, being patient and letting things fall into place and kind of, uh, you know, waiting for the thing that he wanted. Um, when you were having those conversations with him, what did he like the most about Baylor specifically? Oh, I think he's got a really good rapport with the staff. Um, I sat in uh, the day that uh, 
Coach Jacobs came over here and, and gave his presentation to what they thought uh, Baylor could offer D'Antoine as far as over the next three years and his opportunity to play and contribute and the role that he would play and how it could grow and he could you know, contribute more. And it was, it was really good. They did a great job of breaking down how he played here at Kilgore and how that relates to, to the similar style of play or the similar shots that he can get. Uh, not that we play the same way, our styles are different, but the shots that he's going to get are similar. And so I thought it really painted a picture for Dantoin that he could hold on to and trust that his growth is going to continue to go at the right rate, at the right speed, and in the right direction for him to grow as a player. And then, you know, the opportunity to be a part of a top five program and, and a team that's going to have a chance to win Big 12 championships, maybe playing Final Four uh, again down the road. You know, how do you pass that up? How do you say no to that? Coach, uh, you know, at college basketball, it got to a point where we were seeing it. It was you were one and done. And, and if you weren't successful that way, you really weren't going to be successful. And then we started seeing your Kentuckys and your Dukes not win on a consistent basis because there was so much turnover. But then now when you look at it, what Baylor's been able to do to get to their point was get old, stay old and be successful that way. Um, and you look at it at, you know, even Villanova, that's how they've done it. And when you see it in North Carolina, you know, you go out, you win the championship this year, you have four of your five guys coming back. Do you think that's the way basketball is going to get back to is reverting to getting older and building it that way? Well, I think that's the cliche, you know, right now is to get old and stay old. And, and I understand that we want, we want guys that have been in their second or third year of college uh, here too uh, right now. Um, it just helps you with the experience factor of things. So um, I think that's where it lies. I think it relies in the, in the fact that you want experienced guys around. And I think the trend that you're going to see is because teams, because of the portal and the shuffling of players and the turnover of your roster every year, it may be more important to have older guys that can pick the system up quicker, that have more experience to make adjustments and, and kind of learn an offense and a defensive philosophy on the fly and to grow throughout the course of a season and end up being the best team that they're capable of being, you know, in March. And so I, I see the trend. I, I, I see it just like you guys do. I kind of understand it. I get why they're doing what they're doing. And, um, you know, just it makes junior college guys a premium because they've got 30, 60 games underneath their belt. And, you know, if they've won like we've won and, you know, D'Antoine's 49 and 9 as he leaves Kilgore, that's, uh, you know, he knows how to win. And I think that's a premium. Can you describe his intangibles? Like, how is his coachability? I'd say that's probably a, a, an important part of transitioning to this side, to the Big 12. Um, how are his intangibles on the court? Sure. Uh, great leader. Uh, not a vocal leader all the time. He's not going to be the rah-rah guy. Uh, he does support his teammates. He's a great teammate, but he's a leader. He's a leader in how he works. Uh, he's a leader uh, in how he practices. Uh, our team in general this year was uh, ultra competitive in practice and games. Uh, it was just a unique gift that they had as, uh, from 1 to 12, all 12 of our scholarship guys. And, and Dan Tuan led that. He was the guy that, that brought the energy and created the, the competitiveness every day in practice. And so his eagerness to get better, his, his uh, desire to be challenged by the coaches and to learn and to grow his game and develop it, and his leadership ability, 
Um, I, you know, uh, none of us think he's going to step in and be the best player at Baylor next year, but he's going to contribute every day. He's going to bring something to practice every day that's going to help the guys around him get better. It's going to allow him to get better. And I think over time, he's going to find a way to win minutes on that team and, and contribute on the court during games. What are some of the aspects of his game that you think he could improve on or you see him improve it on over the course of the summer before he hits the court at Baylor? He's working really hard right now. Uh, he got a workout in today and uh, is really working on extending the range of his three-point shot. Uh, he's working on his ability to finish around the rim a little bit. And uh, he's really working hard in the weight room and with his just his cardiovascular uh, endurance. And so um, I think he's going to get there and buy into Baylor. I think he's going to buy into the things that they want to do and the way that they want to play. And he's going to uh, fit his game around that and, and utilize his strengths to, to be a piece of the puzzle and to be somebody that can step in and, and hopefully contribute right away in some capacity. And just to start growing as he learns what they do and do it. <laughs> what do you think would what do you think he'll contribute immediately on the court? I'm sorry, I didn't hear the end of that one. On the court or off the court? On the court. What do you think he'll bring immediately to Baylor? I just think he brings some athleticism. Uh, I think he'll be able to uh, create and get guys involved. Not necessarily create his own offense, but just uh, stabilize things for their offense so that the right guys have the ball in their hands and the right guys are shooting it. And so I don't I don't think D'Antoine has any eyes of grandeur that he's going to step in and, and lead this team in scoring or be one of the top four scorers on this team. I think he just wants to get there and, and get involved and find out what his niche could be and, and help where he can help. Our team was very balanced this year. We had four guys that could score 25 to 30 on any given night. And we had another few guys that could score in double digits. So we were very balanced. And the, the great thing about our team was we all played through the hot hand. And our guys recognized who was playing well or who had a mismatch. And we would start our offense through those people. And so D'Antoine's not coming in there as a high-volume shooter. He's not coming to Baylor being a guy that's got to score X amount of points or take X amount of shots every night. He's a guy that can come in and fit in. And as he fits in and as he gets more comfortable, he'll find his times to stick out. And he's not going to have to push that every night. He'll find his moments and uh, his moments will be will be fun and his moments will be highlight reels and his moments will, uh, will be there. But he's not going to have to have those night in and night out at the start. He understands that. Uh, the opportunity is to get better and to grow and develop into a great player at Baylor. And, uh, you know, he's ready to get that started. I know that. Coach, last thing I have for you, could you talk a little bit about the rise of the game in basketball in the state of Texas over the past few years? I mean, whether it's, you know, Baylor and Tech and Houston at the Power 5 level, what y'all are doing, you know, Billy Gillespie at Tarleton and Larry Brown even at Ranger. I mean, the, the list goes on, the coaches, the players. It's just been really impressive to see. What do you think has led to that change and that rise in the, the basketball? Well, I think each school would, would probably give uh... – uh, would probably want to show their appreciation to the administrations um, that have contributed and have uh, done what they're supposed to do or helped uh, financially to do the things that are important to be successful. And so I think we'd all be appreciative to that. I think we'd all be appreciative to our fan bases, to the people that come out and support us. 
and that want to help our programs grow because I think it takes a community and a fan base to to really succeed. I think that really uh, provides energy and sustainability to the to the programs. Um, and, you know, and, and everything's circular in the basketball world. And right now we're just in the state of Texas. Things are good. It seems like guys are in uh, really good recruiting niches. Uh, they found what works for them. Uh, they're in just really, I call them recruiting cycles. We're in a really good one right now. And we're getting good players because of, of what's going on. Um, you know, you'd also have to give credit to the assistant coaches that are at those programs, the guys that are hustling, the guys that are developing players, the guys that are coming to work in every day and finding players and, and pouring into the to the guys that they have in their program because, um, you know, we're only as good as the guys that come to work with us every day and care about the success of this program as much as the head coach does. So I think there's a lot of pieces of that puzzle that you could give a lot of credit to a lot of people um, in, in what the growth is and what the sustainability of winning has been in the state of Texas. Coach, last question. The Big 12 is a very competitive conference, but it's also arguably the most physical conference in college basketball. Did you guys play a lot of physical teams at Kilgore, and how do you think Dantuan will do transitioning the physicality of the Big 12? Well, I think, the, I, think the, uh, I think we were a very physical team this year. We were very, very difficult to officiate at this level of junior college because of our physicality. And it was, um, you know, we, we've got a young man going to DePaul. We've got another young man going to Quinnipiac. Uh, we've got a freshman coming back that could arguably be uh, one of the best point guards in the country as a sophomore next year. And they're all built like, you know, mid-major plus the high-major guys. And so our physicality was very good this year. I think that helps Antoine as he adjusts, but I still believe that there'll be an adjustment period for him. Uh, we didn't create high-major basketball in practice every day. I'm sure that we had our moments I'm sure that we had stretches of time where we played elite basketball and that gives him a good foundation to take with him. Uh, but we didn't play high major basketball every day. So there's going to be an adjustment time period for him to, to get through that. But uh, he's very prepared to handle that adjustment, uh, the way that he lifts, the way that he works, and his, his game, just the style of play that he plays uh, is built to be able to be successful. And, and Baylor recognizes that or, or they wouldn't have offered him the scholarship. Coach, man, we appreciate your time and we wish you nothing but the best. Thanks guys. I appreciate spending a few minutes with you. Have a great day. Hey, thanks. Good you luck too. with your season. There he goes. That is head coach Brian Hobright from Kilgore College. And that's all the time we have today. We appreciate you listening to the Bears Illustrated podcast. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.